Thank you, Dana. Take your Bible. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at one verse and focus all of our attention on this one verse of Scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'd like you to look with me at verse number 34. The Bible says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Waking up is probably one of the hardest things you do every morning. A few years ago in one of my speech classes, we were working on telling stories, telling a good story. And I assigned a simple phrase to various students, and they were to build a story around that phrase. Phrases like, I brushed my teeth. They had to build a whole story around that. One of the phrases I assigned to a young man was the phrase, I took a nap. I will never forget his story as long as I live. It was a fantastic story. It was during winter break, and he had taken on some extra hours at work. He explained where he worked and some of those details I'll not go into as I could not possibly recreate the stories he did. But he told how he had taken on extra hours, was working in the mornings and throughout the day, was taking all the hours he could get. I don't remember if it was in retail around Christmas time, and they were giving him just a ton of hours. And he was scheduled the day before to work these, these amazing hours, and it was going to carry over into the night and through the night, some inventory or something. And he wasn't going to get off work. He was going to work about 20 hours straight, and he was going to get off work in the, in the morning on a Friday. And then he would have until over the weekend to, to get recuperated, start again on Monday. So he was working through like Friday morning at 9 o'clock, and it was just a, a very intense time at work. And he came back to the campus. He was exhausted. He was just flat out tired, worn out, and he was looking forward to just laying down and getting some rest. And so he was hungry, but he thought, well, it's, it's, it's 9.30 in the morning, you know, lunch, but, you know, I, I need to take a nap. You know, I just, I need some sleep. And so he, he laid down his bunk intending to, to sleep for, you know, a couple hours and get up and eat lunch, whatever. And so he laid down his bunk and went to sleep, took a nap. He woke up and he, you know how you are when you get up from a nap, it's like, where am I? Where was I? <laughs> what am I? Where am I supposed to be? You know? and, and he wakes up and, and, and he's thinking, oh man, I'm hungry. And he, and, he, and he looks at the clock and good night, it's like 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. And he's thinking, oh man, I missed lunch. It's, it's, it's time for dinner. Dinner's at 5.30. And so he, he, he quick, he runs in, takes a shower, gets dressed a little bit, and he, he runs out to the, to the Student Life Center and, and anticipating eating him. He's starving. He's, he's been he's sleeping and working and now, now he's hungry and he runs in the Student Life Center and there's absolutely no one there. 
But it's 5.30. It's like time for supper. There's nobody there. And he's thinking, you know what happened? Partial rapture. You know? <laughs> and, and, and there's one guy working in the kitchen there a little bit, and he goes back there and he says, hey, what's going on? The guy says, what do you mean? He says, well, it's time for, it's, it's, it's time for dinner. It's 5.30. And the guy says, well, no, dinner's not till 6. He goes, no, dinner's at 5.30. Dinner's always at 5.30 on Fridays. The guy said, this is not Friday. This is Saturday. He had slept from 9.30 a.m. Friday to 5 p.m. on Saturday. That is a nap. The guy yesterday was advocating for naps after lunch. How many vote for that nap? Are you asleep spiritually? Are you napping spiritually? We live in a time when it's easy for us to become weary, to become depleted, to feel like our resources are running out. And spiritually, we'd like to just kind of step back and take a nap. We've been here a month. We're into the flow now of the college schedule, and some of you are feeling for the first time maybe in your life this, this grind of college. Getting up early, and you're going to classes and doing everything you possibly can to stay alert and stay awake and get the notes and hear the instruction, and, and then you're coming to chapel, and then you're going to work, and, 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 and activities at night, and ministries on the weekend, and you're into this grind, and sometimes we just long for that moment to be able to kind of step back and say, I want to rest. We get weary in well-doing. But Paul said in that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. This is no time to nap spiritually. Yes, we need physical refreshment. We need physical renewal. We need to take time for rest and recreation and, and a proper diet and all those kinds of things are important to our health physically. But spiritually, we dare not nap in these days. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folded of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. We are children of the light, Paul said, and children of the day. He said, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunk in the night. But let us, who are of the day, put on the breastplate of faith and righteousness. We are to be people of the day. We are to be people that are awake. Now, some of you in the morning have to set multiple alarms 
to get yourself out of bed. And college students master the technique of hitting the snooze button without waking up. Sometimes you wake up and you wonder, did my snooze button go off? Yes, it did. 32 times to be exact. But we get really good at at, at turning off that that snooze alarm, that, that reminder that it's time to get up. Listen, don't turn off God's alarms this morning. Don't hit the snooze button spiritually. The devil would love to to, to rock your life in such a way and create an atmosphere where you just kind of step out of of your spiritual life and let down in some areas. And listen, God says we need to be awakened. There are four alarms, I believe, that are going off in this verse. Four alarms that I want you to see this morning and hear this morning. and, And don't you dare reach over and turn that snooze button on. I see the alarm of righteousness. He says in verse 34, awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness, the alarm of a righteous life. We we lament what's happening in our country and we see the problems and we see the, the ridiculousness of those problems and how they're manifesting themselves in so many different ways and the chaos and the confusion that exists in our country today. You know what the answer is? The Bible says righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. We can have our political views and we can have our views about this or that in society. But what we need is a good dose of righteousness. Do you know what sin is? You know, there's this old little thought-provoking Statement, if a tree falls in the forest but nobody's there to see it fall, does it make any noise? You ever been asked that question? What a stupid question. Of course it makes noise. Just because no one heard it doesn't mean it didn't make noise, right? The people have argued for centuries over that dumb question. If you sin and nobody knows about it, is it still wrong? You see, we live in a culture today that doesn't believe that something is wrong unless you get caught. There are some of you living here, right here on this campus, that have cheated on a test, but because you didn't get caught, it doesn't bother you. Because we've been conditioned to think that way. That something is not wrong unless you get caught. It's the whole philosophy behind don't drink and drive. The world's philosophy is don't drink and drive. In other words, it's okay to drink, just don't drive because you might get in trouble. You might have an accident. You might kill somebody else. You might kill yourself. So be careful. Go ahead and drink, just don't drink and drive. God says, don't drink. God says, don't drink. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Could I put that in present day vernacular? John, guess you ever take one drink, you're a fool. 
That's what it says. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contention? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without a cause? They that tarry long at wine, they that seek after mixed wine, look not thou upon the cup when it's red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. For at the last it stingeth like an adder, biteth like a serpent. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, thine heart shall utter perverse things. Thou shalt be as he that lieth in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When I awake, I'll seek it yet again. People say, well, I can control when and how I drink. No, you can't. The Bible says you can't. God says don't drink. The world says don't drink and drive. Go ahead and sin, just don't get caught. It's the whole philosophy behind safe sex. Go ahead and sin, just don't get caught. God says no sex outside of marriage. Marriage is honorable in all. The bed is undefiled. Look up the word bed. It's the word coite. It means the implanting of male sperm into a female. What we commonly refer to as sex. The bed... That act is not dirty, it's not wicked, it's not vile. God created it, but he placed it within the boundary of marriage. Marriage is honorable and all. The bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. In other words, you take it outside that boundary, now you've got sin that must be judged. So God says, no sex outside of marriage. The world says, go ahead and sin, just don't get caught. Use this, use this device, get an abortion if you get in trouble. You know, here's how not to get a sexually transmitted disease. The whole sex education system is built on go ahead and sin, just don't get caught. And if we're not careful, we buy into that. I mean, we're talking about two pretty major areas there, but what about our attitude? What about our thought life? Well, nobody knows what I'm thinking. God does. He says the thought of foolishness is sin. What about our words, our speech? What about our friends? What about our music? What about our video games? How do we know if stuff is right or wrong? Well, well let's take one example. Let's take speech. Let's take our words. How do we know if we should use a certain word? There, there are a lot of words we can use. There are a lot of choices when it comes to vocabulary. And we know there are some words that we should not use. I mean, we've probably been taught there's some words we don't say. There are other words that seem to become somewhat acceptable, even among Christians, that, that may not be curse words or derogatory words toward God, but, but they might be words that have double meaning. They might be words that are questionable or someone could interpret a certain way. Double meaning words. How do, how do we determine? Is it okay to use these words? Is it not okay? How do we determine what is sin? Well, let's think about words. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine according to godliness, he's proud knowing nothing. So God says our words ought to be words that Jesus would use, or that are according to the doctrine of godliness. That, that's the standard. That's the filter by, by which we can put all of our words. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, the psalmist said in Psalm 1914. So our words must pass through the filter, so to speak, and we can determine if they're right or wrong on the basis of, would Jesus say this? Would these be the kinds of words the scripture would use? Do you think Jesus would say, oh my God? I hear Christians say it all the time. I I see it in text, OMG. Do you think Jesus would walk in this room today and say, oh my God? Well then why do we? I don't think, I suppose some of the newer dictionaries have probably had to, had to re- redo some work on this particular word. There's your emergency alert. Some of you haven't turned off your phone. <laughs> I, do, I suppose dictionaries are making some, some uh, concessions with this word, the word freaking. I don't think originally there's anything wrong with the word freaking. Now, If Jesus were alive in 2018, do you suppose he would use it? My answer would be no. Therefore, I shouldn't. Why? Because it has a double meaning, doesn't it? And we have to be so careful. We have to run our life through the filter. Colossians 3 is a great verse to memorize because it helps us establish a filter of what's right and wrong. In Colossians 3, it says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. All right? So, everything in your life you should be able to thank God for. Can you thank God for your words? Can you thank God for what you watched on your phone last night? Can you thank God for that last text you sent? Can you thank God? Can you, can you give glory to God for the music you listen to? The friends you have. We need to run everything through that filter because that's how you determine in a, in a, in a context that's constantly changing around you. And the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not and thou shalt for every single thing in your life. But he's given you a principle here of making sure that everything is approved by God as righteous. Because if it's not righteous, it's unrighteous. And God is saying here, we need to awake to a righteousness in our life. Righteousness exalts a nation. Guess what? If righteousness exalts a nation, it probably will exalt you. As an individual, as a family someday. As a church. So can I say this? Can I think this? Can I do this? Can I respond like this? Well, would Jesus... 1 John 2, 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. In other words, if you say you're saved, you ought to be walking as he walked. When you got baptized, you came out of that water, you were, you were, you were buried with him in baptism and raised together. And the Bible says in, in, in Romans 6, 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
Your testimony when you got baptized was I'm a new person. I'm a new creature in Christ. My sins have been forgiven. I've buried them beneath the blood of Christ. And I'm coming out of this water, symbolic of his resurrection and symbolic a testimony to you that I'm a new man. I'm walking in a new life. Are you? Are you? What's different about you and the lost people at your job this afternoon? What's different about you and, and, and the people in this world that, that, that have all other kinds of messages? Listen, we've got to have a, an awakening to righteousness today. Don't turn that alarm off. He goes on to a second alarm, the alarm of revival. He says, awake to righteousness, verse 34, and sin not. Now, I've worked in revival-type work all my life all my ministry life, and, and I've spent my entire 44 years of ministry focused on revival. But I think we have a, a misconception of what revival is. We often think of revival in the context of a meeting. We think of revival meetings. We think of a revival meeting. We, we, we think of a revival service. And we tend to calendarize revival. We, ha we say we're having a revival at our church this week. We know what we mean by that. We're having some services. We're having evangelists come in or a special speaker. And we're doing some revival type of work. Underlying in that thinking is that revival can kind of be turned on and off. Okay, this week we're having revival. And next week we'll go back to the same old, same old. It's amazing to me, and, and some of our, our faculty, they, they preach in camps and different places like I do. It's amazing to me, every time you go back to camp, you have to preach on the same themes. Every year you gotta preach on dating, you gotta preach on bitterness, you gotta preach on assurance of salvation. You gotta, you gotta go through the same thing every year, same kids. And you gotta start all over again. God's concept of revival is when there's an awakening in our hearts and there's a, there's a, a, a renewing of our life to God in revival. That, that's not supposed to end when the meeting ends, when camp is over, when the youth conference ends. In other words, revival is supposed to be ongoing. So he says, awake to righteousness and sin not. In other words, we're to live in a continuous state of revival. I think, we, I think we treat 1 John 1, 9 sort of like a lucky rabbit's foot. We all know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we, we kind of treat that as a lucky rabbit's foot because there's no condition on that verse. You can use it as many times as you want to. God doesn't say you can only confess your sins 50 times. Once you've confessed the 50th time, you have no more, no more way to be forgiven. In other words, it's an unlimited promise, isn't it? It's, 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 it has no conditions to it. You, you, every day you can come to Christ. Every time you sin, you can come to him and confess that sin, and he's willing to forgive and cleanse you. But I think sometimes what we think is, okay, I can sin because I can get forgiven. And the whole time we're asking for forgiveness, we're thinking I'm going to go sin again. We go sin again knowing we're going to confess it. We confess it knowing we're going to go sin again. God says, stop that and sin not. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it 
shall have mercy. And sin not. Stop this sinning. We need awakening to revival living. Living right with God. Continuing on. Not just this, well, oh, it's, 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 it's youth conference. We can, we're all going to get right with God. Hey, we're going to camp. We're all going to get right with God. I was in a camp one time, and a, a guy said at the end of the week, you know, my friend and I, we bet each other $5 on the way to camp. We wouldn't, we wouldn't make a decision. <laughs> in other words, they knew they needed to make a decision, but they bet each other that they wouldn't. Unfortunately, they both lost the bet. But the point is, we go to camp knowing they're going to preach, they're going to, it's going to get pretty, pretty heavy, and, and I'll probably need to make a decision. And we go to camp thinking, okay, this is the week we get right with God. This is the week we get it all on the altar. This is the week we surrender. And then we go home, and it's same old, same old. You know, in the Old Testament, God got tired of their burnt offerings. He got tired of their continual sacrifices. And he finally says one day, rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, I'm tired of these, these bullocks that you're offering up for your sin. I'm tired of this, that you're wearying me with this. You do it over and over and over again, and you go right back to the same idolatry over and over, and then you come back, and then you go away, and then you come back, and then you go away. Look, rend your heart. Have revival. Hath God as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Awake to righteousness. Awake to revival. Notice thirdly, there's the alarm of redemption. He says, awake to righteousness, verse 34, and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. Why do we need righteousness? Why do we need revival? Because people are lost. And we need to sound the alarm of redemption. I tell you what's going to happen to you at West Coast. You're going to get used to seeing people saved. And it's going to get old hat to you. But there are 7.7 billion people in this world. The vast majority of whom are lost. And the reason God's people need to get righteous and the reason God's people need to live in revival is because some have not the knowledge of God. In 2 Corinthians 4, God says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of God, which is the image of Christ, should shine unto them. Now, that's a long sentence. What in the world does it mean? Um, I need some help here. Josiah, help me. Uh, Jesse, help me. Josiah, you come over here. Jesse, you come over here. See if we can illustrate this verse. Josiah, Jesse, okay? Now, these guys are going to help me. Let's, let's let Josiah face me. Don't face them. They're scary. Josiah is going to represent somebody that's not saved, okay? He's going to represent a lost person. Now, Josiah, you're saved, right? If you died right now, where would you go? Isn't that great? Hey. By the way, 
I can't take that away even for an illustration. I did this one time. I called a guy up. I said, now you're saved, right? He said, no. I said, oh, okay, just be yourself. <laughs> and, and he was. Did a good job. And after the service, he came forward. He said, I don't want to be the lost guy anymore. Anyway, but, but Josiah is already saved, okay? But he's lost now, okay, for the sake of the illustration. He's going to be a lost man. Jesse, face me. Jesse is going to represent God. You have to really use your imagination here. Well, maybe not. We're made in God's image, so who knows? But Jesse's going to represent God, just for the illustration. Afterwards, you've got to go back to Jesse. Okay, but right now he's God. Okay, so we've got God here. We've got a lost man here. I'm going to represent a Christian who has sin in my life. Okay, I know it's there, but I'm not willing to deal with it. Okay, now, here's the verse. If our gospel be hid, talking to Christians, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. That's Josiah. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of God, which is the image of Christ, should shine unto them. Okay? Now, does God want the sinner to be saved? Yes. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know what the Calvinists do with that verse. I don't know what they do with 1 Timothy 2.3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who will have all men to be saved. What do you do with that? Unless he wants all men to be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.14, and that he died for all. What do you do with that? I, anyway, I digress. So God wants the sinner to be saved. Does the devil want the sinner to be saved? No, no, he doesn't. He'll do anything he can to keep the sinner from being saved. That's why we're praying for this weekend, because we know there's opposition to a harvest day like Sunday. All right? So the devil doesn't want people to be saved. But is the devil as powerful as God? No, because 1 John 4, 4 teaches us, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So the devil's powerful, we know that. But he's not as powerful as God. So the devil can't go up to God and say, God, you're not saving anybody anymore. He can't do that. <laughs> God's bigger than he is. <laughs> he can't stop God from letting the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shine to the center. He can't stop that light. He doesn't have that power. So what does he do? He takes the Christian with sin in his life and he places that Christian between the light source and the sinner. So is the gospel still shining? Yes, it's still shining. But the sinner's not seeing it. It's hid. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of God, which is the image of Christ, should shine unto them. And you know, the truth is, if you talk to sinners and you ask them why they're not saved, most of the time they'll say, because of hypocrites in the church. If they're honest. They've seen somebody that claims to be a Christian and they say, if that's it, I don't want it. And the devil has blocked the light of the gospel by us. And that's why he's calling us to righteousness. That's why he's calling us to revival. 
because these people need the light of the gospel, but they're never going to see it if we don't awake to righteousness, if we don't awake to revival. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. So we've got to awake to redemption. Listen, the world needs Christ, and God has left us here to be that witness, to be that ambassador, to be that voice of truth. It's our responsibility. Don't let things get in your life that hinder or block that light. And then finally, in this verse, there's the alarm of regret. Awake to righteousness, sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. If you neglect the first alarm and you hit the snooze button on the second alarm and you unplug the alarm on the third, eventually you will hear the alarm of regret. Because a generation without righteousness, without revival, without redemption will be a generation of regret. We will miss our opportunity. The psalmist said, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. It would be a tragedy if there were people at your workplace that you will encounter this afternoon who one day would stand before God and say, nobody cared for my soul. What a sad thing it would be for this community to one day say, I lived in Lancaster. I think there was a Baptist church there, but nobody cared for my soul. That's the alarm of regret. And oh, how we care about work and we care about our GPA and we care about how many likes we have on Facebook and we care about our sports team and we, we care about all these things, but do we care about souls? I was preaching at the Bill Rice Ranch years ago. There was a church there from Hayesville, Ohio. If you know where Hayesville is, you're one of very few. But there was a church there at that time that I'd preached revivals in a number of times called the Maranatha Baptist Church. I believe it's still there. The pastor had been there a number of years. His son, whose name was Steve, was the youth pastor. Steve was a single man, but he was the youth pastor of the church, pastor's son. They brought some young people to camp, about 30 young people, 25 boys, five girls. I think that was indicative of the youth pastor being single. He was reaching the guys, but had a hard time reaching the girls. They had 30 kids at camp, and at the Bill Rice Ranch, the youth leaders stay in the cabins with the kids. They, they become the counselors for the week. So Steve youth pastor was staying in the cabin with the 25 guys from his church. The pastor had also come to camp and he had brought a little camping trailer and he and his wife were staying in it. And one morning at 5 a.m. a knock came on that camper door. Pastor got up. He said, who is it? And it was a voice on the outside that said, pastor, you have an emergency phone call. This was before cell phones. He said, you have an emergency phone call in the office. The pastor said, let me get dressed. I'll be right out. He quickly threw some clothes on. He went out. They ran to the 
administration building. The pastor received the phone call. After receiving the phone call, he went to the cabin where his son, Steve, the youth pastor, and his boys from his church were sleeping. It's about 5.30 in the morning. He went in, he woke up his son, and he said, Steve, we're going to have to get the boys up. So they turned the lights on, and they began to go around, try to shake the boys out of sleep. And of course, at camp, you're dead tired at 5.30 in the morning. And these boys are starting to wake up, and they're kind of, you know, rubbing their eyes and stretching. And the pastor went over to a bunk where a boy was sitting. His name was Chris. He was 15 years old. And he was stretching and trying to get awake like everybody else. The pastor knelt down by Chris's bunk. And he said, Chris, I've got some rough news. He said, your mom just passed away. Chris's mom was 34 years old. She'd had some flu-like symptoms for a couple of weeks, thought it was just a passing flu. But in reality, it turned out to be an aneurysm on her brain. And that morning, she'd slipped into eternity about 4 a.m. This dear pastor shared that news with this boy. And Chris fell into the arms of his pastor and began to sob. And he said, Pastor, she's in hell. Because I never told her once about Jesus. A few moments later, I found myself standing at the car, helping Chris load his things into the trunk for that long ride home. And I remember as we prayed with Chris and just tried to encourage him as best we knew how. And they drove down that Bill Rice Road, and I watched those taillights disappear into the darkness. I stood there and I thought, what if that had been for me? What if that call had been for me? What if it had been somebody in my family or one of my neighbors? Would I be standing here saying they're in hell? Because I never told them once about Jesus Christ. Is there an alarm going off today? An alarm of righteousness? An alarm of revival? An alarm of redemption? If so, don't hit the snooze button because you'll never be able to turn off that alarm of regret. Let's bow for prayer.